pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News & World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Can you imagine feeling like your nerves were doused in gasoline and lit on fire? I mean, that's how our first guest, Susan Green, describes the pain of Lyme disease. Many patients with active disease or the chronic form of the disease called post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome develop pain. It ranges from flu-like headaches, muscle and joint aches, to shooting pain down the arms, muscle spasms, or widespread arthritis. It can even attack our ability to think, remember, and sleep. All of this from a tiny tick bite that we may not have even noticed. It can be frightening, but the pain can be controlled, and we'll find out how from both of our guests. Susan Green is a litigator who suffered from Lyme disease for at least 20 years. At one point, she was bedridden with intense burning pain, lost the ability to speak, and lost her memory. Quite remarkably, she overcame it all, and will share just how she did it. Then Dr. John Aucott, Lyme disease expert and infectious disease specialist from the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, joins us once again. He'll talk about the stages of Lyme disease, what to look for if you have post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome, and the therapies that can get you back on track. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Purdue Pharma, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Millennium Laboratories, My Life Patient Program, and DC2 Healthcare, and The Pain Community. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. Susan Green is an attorney and general legislative counsel to National Capital Lyme Association. She joins us to share her journey with the pain of Lyme disease. Susan, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Last time, you described how the diagnosis of Lyme disease eluded you for many years, that you lost the ability to speak, use your hands, had a seizure, and felt like your nerves were doused in gasoline and lit on fire. Fortunately, you began to recover and talked about some of the treatments that restored your life. Among them, antibiotic therapy, hyperbaric oxygen, and infrared sauna. What else did you find helpful? I had to clean up my diet. If you're not gluten-free, if you're not getting rid of the flour, the wheat, and the sugar, those are all inflammatory. And so it's going to um, aggravate the exercise. And I can tell you at the beginning, you know, I know that a lot of Lyme patients who are in a lot of pain are sitting there rolling their eyes right now going, <laughs> yeah. exercise? How can I exercise? Right. The first time I went into the gym, I went in to have a room in my house, and I went in there and maybe lifted a three-pound weight twice and crawled back to bed. <laughs> yeah. Every day I would work up to one more rep and um, got an infrared sauna so that if I could work out enough to get my heart rate up, 
afterwards, I would take bottles and bottles and bottles of water and go sit in the infrared sauna for as long as I could tolerate. Although early Lyme patients shouldn't stay in there for too long, you know, the heat will kill the bacteria, and you know, if you can sweat, that's all real important. Little by little, I started to see improvement. If you try to do some, if you try to do too much too fast. Thank you, Yeah, great point. You know, patients who have the chronic form of Lyme disease called post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome suffer from things like, you know, headaches and shooting, stabbing pain, arthralgias, and also sensory hyperarousal. That is, they have extreme light and sound sensitivity. Do you experience that? Yes. I'm that person in the restaurant that has to change tables 17 times because somebody is drinking wine and has that cackle. And I have, I mean, I'm so sensitive to noise. Wow. I mean, it's actually painful. Yeah. I definitely have light sensitivity as well. And um, any kind of uh, fast-moving lights, neon lights, um, can really cause me a, a, a bad reaction. I'm sorry to hear that. Most patients, though, with acute Lyme disease actually do recover. But now we're talking about, uh, in your case, for example, something called post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. And and that really means that uh, patients, after the infection has been treated, continue to have symptoms uh, for months or even years. And those symptoms mainly consist of things like fatigue, widespread musculoskeletal pain, and cognitive problems. Uh, Susan, I know this affected your work, but to what extent? I was in the middle of a trial. I had a seizure and lost my ability to speak. So I knew that I needed, you know, some really intensive treatment. I didn't want to be in that position again. And I I was having trouble with word retrieval and um, those types of things. So I did 20 months of IV antibiotics before I was um, well enough to, you know, resume full time. Uh I would go to court, you know, with my pick line and everything, get up in the morning. I'd get out of the shower, infuse two bags of IV while I was putting on my makeup and drying my hair, and uh, roll out, go to court, run down to an hour from my home, jump in the hyperbaric oxygen tank, suck air for two hours, and return home to uh, infuse two more bags of antibiotics. Now, that's incredible. And by the way, a PICC line, that is P-I-C-C line, is short for a peripherally inserted central catheter. It's a fairly long catheter that's placed in the arm, in one of the arm veins, and extends all the way to the right side of the heart, usually. It's placed in that location because it can be used for long periods of time. Susan, you mentioned earlier that you used hyperbaric oxygen to help treat the symptoms of chronic Lyme disease. When did you start experiencing relief from that treatment? It was pretty quick. Neurologically, that was more than anything else that really helped me neurologically. So um, within, a sh- within a reasonable period of time between the IV and the hyperbaric oxygen, mm-hmm. you know, all the tremors, all the, you know, all of those things that I had stopped. Great. You know, I was able to retrieve language mm-hmm. skills and able to basically reboot my brain. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, Susan, what did your family think about what was going on? <laughs> you know, Lyme, much like fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue, is what I call the eye roll disease. Because when you walk in and tell your doctor you have it, you know, the first thing they do is roll their eyes and think they've got a nut sitting <laughs> before them. Yeah. Uh, it's very hard. And, my, you know, my siblings who are doctors, I was able to finally persuade one that I actually thought that that sibling had Lyme as well. Mm-hmm and was able to get them tested and confirm it. So I've you know, written a law that's been passed that requires doctors to tell the patients that the test is inaccurate because patients don't know that. They don't know that they may very well have Lyme yeah. because the test is, is right now, unfortunately, it's garbage. 
So because they've seen all the work I've done and they've seen my recovery, I think that they're a little more open-minded now. That's good to hear. Did you try any uh, complementary or alternative medicine therapies or, or supplements, for example? Uh, 30, it was nothing for me to take 30, 40 supplements a day in the morning and at night. Wow. The Infectious Disease Society of America recommends against prolonged uh, retreatment with antibiotics for post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. Now, in your case, Susan, when you have relapses, do you use antibiotics? Absolutely. I will try to do orals first to try to contain it. Uh If I can't, I have no hesitation about going on IV, but that's me. There are risks to IV. Um, but for me, I know that I'm going to get my best recovery from IV. Okay. There is a controversy about long-term antibiotic use uh, between the Infectious Disease Society of America and uh, the International Lyme and Associated Disease Society. Talk about that for a second. The Infectious Disease Society believes that 28 days of antibiotics and you're cured. They don't believe in persistent or chronic Lyme. Although they're starting to author papers that that would now indicate that that in certain circumstances they believe it may exist. But ILADS, International Lyme and Associated Disease Society, do believe that if not caught early, that various forms of the Lyme can persist in, in the human host. And by the time I was diagnosed, it was already in my central nervous system. And that's a problem. That's a real problem. And that's not going to be reversed with 28 days of antibiotics. So... The ILADS doctors are more likely to treat for a longer period of time based upon the how long the patients had the symptoms. Okay. Those people saved my life. But for them, I'd be dead right now. That's a powerful statement. And I know that you don't have chronic pain associated with the post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome and that you have 95% of your life back at times. But you're still not out of the woods yet. Too much stress. I I tend to be a type A person, and so actually lobbying for that bill in Virginia nearly killed me, Um, or the car accident. Um, All those things can trigger a relapse, Mm -hmm. and so it's really important to learn moderation, and I aspire to learn that. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Susan, certainly... All of us who've listened to your story realize how devastating Lyme disease can be on your life. What is important to remember about how to prevent Lyme disease? I can't emphasize strongly enough how important it is. If you're outside and you come into the house, first thing you should do is put your clothes in the dryer, put it on high heat because that will kill the little trespassers. Mm -hmm. You want to get in your shower, you want to do a full tick check, and you have to look very, very carefully because these things are tiny. It is easy for even the experts to miss. You get kids, whatever, you have to do thorough tick checks daily. And by the way, much as we like to believe the ticks don't come out in the winter, regrettably they do. You don't want to sleep with your dogs because they are tick taxis. <laughs> tick taxis indeed. And before we close, what's important for all of us to remember about Lyme disease and the pain associated with it? Do tick checks. Familiarize yourself with the symptoms. They're wide and they're varied. If you get tested for Lyme and it comes back negative and your symptoms persist, return for further testing and or treatment. Then for the people who are suffering with chronic pain, I know how hard it is. I know how debilitating it is. Change your diet. Change your nutrition. It will really help get rid of that inflammation. 
Just be persistent. Be determined. Start trying to do a little exercise. You know, I pray that one day everything's going to change and that, that medicine will come to realize that we have a pandemic on our hands. Mm-hmm. And I pray that someday these, these people will have access to medical care and insurance coverage. It's so, it's so important. It is important. And thank you for that advice. Do you have any resources that you have found uh, most valuable? My Bible is Ken Singleton's The Lyme Disease Solution, because it's very easy to read and very easy to understand. The other book I also like is Why Can't I Get Better? Mm -hmm. Solving the Mystery of Lyme and Chronic Disease, and that's by uh, Richard Horowitz. Okay, and then there's natcaplyme.org, that is N-A-T-C-A-P-L-Y-M-E dot org as an online resource as well. Susan, it's been terrific having you as a guest today. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Don't go away, because Dr. John Aucott is back. He's a Lyme disease specialist from the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, a global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Visit TameThePain.com to learn about treatment options for chronic pain. Teva, the leading global pharmaceutical company committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. Millennium Health is a leading health solutions company that delivers accurate, timely, clinical actionable information to inform the right treatment decisions for each patient at the right time. Millennium offers a comprehensive suite of services to better tailor patient care. More information is available at www.millenniumhealth.com. My Life Patient Program and DC2 Healthcare, connecting patients to top physicians in the United States, reaching the highest standard of patient care through research patient programs and gains in overall health. For more information, please visit mylifepatientproject.com and dc2healthcare.com. Welcome back. Dr. John Aucott is an assistant professor, Division of Rheumatology, at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. He's currently leading a study on Lyme disease and post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome, examining pain, fatigue, and biomarkers for prognosis after treatment. Dr. Aucott, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Thanks. On our last show, we talked about the risk of getting Lyme disease, how it's best diagnosed, and a bit about the controversy surrounding treatment with antibiotics. Tell us now, how life-altering is post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome? The impact of the symptoms on their quality of life can be devastating. I mean, in one study, it was just as big an impact as having congestive heart failure or any other major illness because, you know, fatigue and pain, you know, it's hard to function normally when you have those symptoms. Very, very true. You know, I've seen some patients with uh, post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome, and they complain of of headaches and, and joint pain, muscle pain, and neuropathic pain as well. What have you found? You know, they don't tend to have just um, one simple kind of arthritic kind of pain. Mm -hmm. It tends to be more widespread and often more periarticular as opposed to articular. In other words, you know, they often have pain more in the tissues surrounding the joint than actually in the joint itself, Mm -hmm. which actually makes it more difficult to diagnose because it's hard to get you know, accurate assessments of tissue inflammation in surrounding tissues. Right. Um, so it becomes a diagnostic dilemma, too. In fact, in general, the findings in patients with post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome, the, you know, the findings on scans and uh, what we 
physicians like to call objective manifestations, they're hard to find. Mm-hmm. You know, you, the tissues look normal despite the um, profound discomfort and pain coming from the tissue. Mm-hmm. And we see that uh, in other pain conditions as well. John, uh, what kind of symptoms predominate in patients who have post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome? Yeah, that's where the kind of neuropathic pain syndromes become more prominent. It's actually in that post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. Mm-hmm. So those would be symptoms like uh, numbness or tingling or shooting leg pain or shooting arm pain or burning pain, for example. One research hypothesis is that the pain may be coming from what are called small fibers. Mm-hmm. And actually, there has been case reports now of small fiber neuropathy as part of the post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. Okay. And that small fiber neuropathy can be very painful, very uncomfortable. But actually, again, with our theme of hard to diagnose, most physicians don't know that that type of small fiber neuropathy um, results in normal nerve conduction tests, and, mm-hmm. and you have to do a different kind of test called a small fiber nerve biopsy to diagnose that. Mm-hmm. But we're finding more evidence of cases of small fiber neuropathy in our post-treatment Lyme disease patients. Okay. And by the way, uh, a small fiber neuropathy means that there's some damage done to the small nerves of the body. Uh, these nerves provide sensation to, to the skin, for example. Patients uh, will often say that it feels like a pins and needles sensation or numbness, burning, or prickling. And and often they feel that it attacks the feet first. Causes can include things like diabetes, hypothyroidism, HIV, and alcoholism. Now, Dr. Alcott, does the bacteria called Borrelia burgdorferi have a preference for the central nervous system? I, I'm not sure I would say central nervous system necessarily. They, they actually, they kind of like the, the um, nerve roots um, is their favorite place to go. Mm-hmm. So they can cause a, a meningitis and a radiculitis at the nerve roots. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it's very rare actually to cause a, a brain infection itself, which we call encephalitis. Right. And the Borrelia in the United States States doesn't do that much. It tends to stay right at the border of the central nervous system, which is these nerve roots. In Europe, they have a different species of Borrelia called Borrelia gerinii. Mm-hmm. The European species actually does have more of a predilection for central nervous system. So they do see more actual brain infection in Europe than we do in the United States. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's important to know if we're traveling to Europe. Did you realize that post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome can mimic other diseases like uh, multiple sclerosis or even Alzheimer's disease? We'll find out more after the break. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by The Pain Community, a web-based nonprofit created by people living with pain. Check out paincommunity.org for information, references, advocacy tools, and a premium section to securely interact with other members in forums and chat rooms. Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact on healthcare and on lives, reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter or like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. Welcome back. We're speaking with Dr. John Aucott, Lyme disease specialist from Johns Hopkins. Uh, Dr. Aucott, you know, it's pretty scary that 
that Lyme disease, or that is post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome, causes symptoms that mimic other neurologic diseases like uh, Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, and even Alzheimer's disease. The first step is to exclude other illnesses often because in a way, post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome is often a diagnosis of exclusion. Uh-huh. So I exclude other illnesses um, first. For instance, I've had people present to me with concerns about Lyme disease and you know they had uh, Addison's disease or mm-hmm. HIV AIDS yeah. or hypothyroidism. I mean, the, these symptoms, as you know, fatigue and pain are not specific for any one disease. Right. One of our my patients quoted to me once, you know, it's like they can't trust their body. You know, they never know where the pain is going to be on a given day. Yes, and that makes it extremely difficult for the patient to know whether they're going to ever get better. John, talk to us about prognosis for Lyme disease. Generally, the assumption is you give the person their your couple weeks of antibiotics and everything melts away and, and never comes back. And mm-hmm. I think that assumption we're re-examining now because of this 10 to 20% where they do still develop problems. I'll tell you one of the big prognostic factors up front, though, is how the duration of the illness before treatment. Mm-hmm. So early diagnosis and treatment, the, the prognosis is substantially better. It's people who have delayed diagnosis and treatment, and by delayed, I mean delayed for months or sometimes even years. Yeah. Those are the people that really have the more serious prognosis. Okay, well, that's critical information. Hey, John, let's now talk about and delve into treatments for post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. And let's first start with the anti-inflammatory, things like Motrin, uh, Naproxen, for example. You know, for the musculoskeletal pain, they can be helpful. They don't seem to be as helpful for the neuropathic pain. Right, exactly. How about muscle relaxants? I mean, medications like uh, Flexeril or Xanaflex. You know, one of the problematic areas seems to be muscle spasms in the neck, and that's the situation where I tend to use the muscle relaxants. Mm -hmm, That makes sense. Now, how about uh, a group of medicines called the tricyclic antidepressants? Medicines like nortriptyline or amitriptyline, for example. Yeah, I have, and and I tend to focus on those um, often when there's a sleep problem, too. Yeah, I agree. How about medicines like uh, gabapentin and pregabalin, also known as Neurontin or Lyrica? I like them a lot for the neuropathic pain. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you about post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome in terms of the cause, because it seems like there's really no evidence of ongoing infection, but there's some controversy over that. Our research interest is in the kind of autoimmune inflammatory aspects of post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. Mm -hmm. In animal models, there are people that investigate persistent infection after antibiotics treatment, and in animal models, um, that's where you'll find evidence for that hypothesis. Okay, and in terms of complementary and alternative medicine therapies, I know that you're a big fan of aqua therapy to help keep joints mobile and to prevent deconditioning, uh, that you have some patients who found relief from acupuncture, that you don't recommend steroid injections into joints. But let me ask you about hyperbaric oxygen, because Susan Green, our previous guest, felt that it was essential. Anecdotally, I've had a whole spread of opinions about that. I wouldn't say there's a trend one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And you know, certain chronic pain conditions are considered central sensitivity syndromes, whereby there's an augmentation in pain processing in the brain and spinal cord. These are disorders like fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. And I wonder whether post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome could be included in that. We actually look at Lyme disease and post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome as actually one of the triggers for fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue Mm -hmm. because we believe that by understanding this in Lyme disease, we may get insights into how other people end up with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue. Right. And John, what have you found to be the best method of managing patients with post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome? I think if you put together a team that addresses all the aspects, Mm -hmm. 
then I think that we do a great job and offer our patients a lot of benefits. Yeah, I agree. And who's on your team? I think ideally a physical therapist, a nutritionist, and then kind of a, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy type person. Mm-hmm. And why the nutritionist? For some reason, and we don't understand this, the post-treatment Lyme patients seem to have an inordinate number of, of food sensitivities. Mm-hmm. So I think they need to be tested and examined for gluten sensitivity mm-hmm. and, and food intolerances. Okay. Patients often talk about avoiding concentrated sweets and things, which... I endorse since it's probably a good idea anyway. And John, about how much relief can patients expect from the team approach? No, I think they're up in the 75%. I think that actually the tougher symptoms to treat are the fatigue, Mm -hmm. because there we don't have good pharmacologic agents. And finally, what's on the horizon? Well, probably some combination of either a antigen detection marker that relates to the Borrelia or an immune response biomarker that measures inflammation. Mm -hmm. And that sounds encouraging. And Dr. Alcott, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Aches and Gains. My pleasure. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.